You're now listening to the Raw Urban Mobile Podcast, straight from the streets of Tokyo. And we ain't talking no sushi temples and shrines and shit, motherfuckers. Live from the streets of Tokyo, it's the Raw Urban Mobile Podcast. Back at it again. What's good, Buddha? Hey, man. Chilling, living a dream. You know, what can I say? Chocolate Buddha in the house. We inside the Mobile Man Cave and uh, we're out on the streets of Tokyo. These honeys is looking good on a rainy day. And uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Loving it, bro. Yeah. Um, so our special guest today is my brother, Ivan Kovac. What's going on, man? Hello. Thank you guys for having me here. Oh, we no appreciate problem. your presence, brother. Yes, yes. We, we, we've been looking forward to this one. Um, so, before before you tell everybody about yourself, um, you, you, so where did we meet? We met at the... We met at Baye's event, uh, where we were screening the James Baldwin documentary, yes. I'm Not Your Negro. I'm Not Your Negro. That was an awesome documentary. Shout out to Baye McNeil. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, so yeah, we connected there and um, yeah. we've been kind of like chatting on via Facebook and stuff. So yeah, yeah. that's right. Yep, yep. So um, yeah, tell everybody about yourself. All right, well, I came to Tokyo around 11 years ago. I started a production company here mm -hmm. and uh, you know, it's, it's, we started at a good time, but as a year passed, mm -hmm. the world financial crisis struck. Oh! So it got harder. We're earning, we went from earning a lot of money to earning less money, and then the tsunami hit, uh -huh. and we folded the company. So we had to fire all our staff. Uh, I joined Bank of America after that. Oh, wow. Merrill Lynch. I was working in their video department for a while. Uh, after six months, I decided I couldn't stand it anymore, so mm -hmm. I quit. And I've been freelancing as a director and DP ever since. I started off doing assistant stuff and okay. worked my way up to doing uh, cinematography and direction now. Oh, awesome, awesome, awesome. I thought to myself, it's like if I keep mixing up my roles and taking assistant roles, it's going to confuse people. You know, it's mm. like, what are you? Are you an assistant? Are you DP? Like you're doing mm. some stuff that's winning awards and then mm. you're still like taking on assistant roles. And it was financial reasons that mm. that did bring in a lot of money but um, in the end I had to make that decision to convince people that I was serious about this that they should be hiring me that I could work with higher and higher quality people every job yes uh, and that's where I'm at now yeah okay and and so how did Japan come into the equation I mean like why did you like where are you originally from yeah I was I was born in Los Angeles okay mm. uh, I moved to Sydney Australia when I was four years old okay uh, so I'm a dual citizen. Okay. Um, nice. And I went to film school in Sydney, and <laughs> there was a few years gap there. I was doing lighting gaffering for a while, mm -hmm. and uh, my friend, who was in the directing master class <laughs> at the film school, mm -hmm. he uh, he moved to Japan. He became an English teacher. He had he had a hard time in Sydney, and he came out here, and he pitched me a great idea to come to Japan uh, and start a production company together. So we did. Gotcha. And the rest is history. Yeah. Nice, 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 nice. All right, all right. So um, how has it been working in the film industry in Japan? Or 
That's an interesting question. <laughs> it's um, a loaded question. It's a loaded question. <laughs> yeah, because you know, I have clients listening to this as well. But okay, oh, I okay, still okay. love them. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's 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 fine. They all know and love me. I hope. Mm. Um, if you don't, please don't tell me. <laughs> but uh, look, Japan is great. Yes. It's quite often tricky to work on Japanese feature films, especially. Mm. Why? They treat their workers as if it was an army unit mm. a japanese army unit wow. in world war ii <laughs> if, if wow. that makes any sense so yes. you get the cheapest get bento lunches on set every day <laughs> no fruits or vegetables for a month straight and it's funny at around week two uh -huh. I, I tell this to every feature film production i've worked on japanese feature film production <laughs> i've worked on it's like can you please have fruit on set and they're all no we don't have the budget for that I look at them and all. Okay, on day ten, or in between day ten and fourteen, you'll see people starting to bring bananas and oranges to set, <laughs> and they like fucking fiber. clockwork, yes. you'll see people getting really lethargic and just getting really bored, or as they say in Japanese, really, yeah, yeah. really dazed out. Mm. And it's because they have no vitamins in them; they can't shit. Right, <laughs> gotta have that fiber. Yeah, and, and then all the of a sudden, roughages, all of a sudden, one person complaining will be five people complaining will be the whole crew complaining, and all of a sudden you have bananas on set. <laughs> bananas, and he's a big banana guy. He always, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He gotta have that you might want to rephrase the way you say that. He's yeah, a big yeah, banana. Oh guy. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But he, he always has some bananas in the mocha yeah, man yeah, cake. So. got a couple. So here, if you need yeah, a banana, yeah, you want a banana, man? Hey. <laughs> I've bananaed out today, but oh, okay. I wouldn't mind an orange or an apple. Yeah, I can imagine the whole crew walking around yeah. constipated or, yeah. you know, you hear a bunch of grunting in the toilet because you know, you take it. It's hard to shoot when you can't shit. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That should, that should be a t-shirt. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. No pun intended. We're just shooting the shit. It's hard to shoot when you yeah. can't shit. Yeah. But, uh, look, it's just on the commercial side, I think Japan is great uh, because there's so much shit happening here. Yeah. It's, I believe it's the third largest commercial film industry in the world. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. It's after mm. America and India. Please, someone correct me if I'm wrong. Mm. But Hollywood! You got Hollywood, Bollywood, and Japan. Mm. Yeah. And uh, it's just, it's, it's fantastic. Everyone that I know is just consistently just working and doing mm. interesting projects. So if you have an ambition to, to do something in the film industry, in the commercial film industry especially, mm -hmm. there's a place for you, whether you speak only English, only Japanese, oh, wow. or are bilingual. All right, so all those out there in the audience, hope you heard my brother Ivan say that. Hey, oh, this opportunity is here. Creatives. Yep. Just, yeah, you just bring your fruits and have to have ambition. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And bring your own fruit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> bring, bring some bananas and apples with yeah, you. you know. <laughs> well, you know, you know, you've obviously you've done a lot of work. Um, yeah. You, you've sent some stuff to me, and I've watched it, and, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, there were two films I, I wanted to talk about in particular, uh, two documentaries, and. Uh, one I guess we can start out with is, is the Fuk Fukushima documentary, which is called um, Alone in the Zone. That's right. right. Yeah. Tell us about that. All right. So that was <clears throat> that before I did that movie, mm -hmm. I was uh, I wasn't doing too well in Japan. I mm. was I was you know just taking whatever jobs that I could mm. to make ends meet, whatever it was, mm -hmm. uh, and. You know, I was I was making ends meet some months. Other months, I wasn't. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'd done a few documentaries in the Tohoku region of Japan, which mm. is, if the audience doesn't know, where 
the big disaster happened yes, in the 2011. Earthquake. The earthquake and tsunami where I believe like 15, 20,000 people lost their lives. Right. Yeah. I'd, I'd done a few movies in Ishinomaki oh. with a friend called Jeffrey and Paul Johannesson. Okay. Uh, Paul since left back to Norway. Okay. Uh, but me and my friend Jeffrey, we still regularly do these projects together and we just came up with an idea. He, he had done an interview, uh-huh. I believe, with this guy who lived in the 20k exclusion zone and he was just taking care of people's abandoned animals. Wow. I thought to myself, wow, this would make a really great documentary. Mm-hmm. We have to form a story around it. Yeah. At the same time, Vice contacted me. They'd, Vice Japan had just launched in Tokyo at the time. Oh, wow. And they mm-hmm. needed to do an anniversary of the disaster story. Uh, and I pitched my idea and they loved it. Wow. And the rest is the history. Rest is yeah, the wow. rest is history. We went up there, we interviewed people, we traveled all around the region to, to, to you know, we juxtaposed two stories. One guy who abandoned his cattle and killed them and this guy who was saving people's abandoned cattle. So two separate people there. Uh, yes. And I knew through that conflict, I knew we needed both characters to actually generate not just a story, but without being, I didn't want to be political in this documentary. Okay. I wanted to be political without being political. I wanted to show tension and conflict between two opposing opinions and two opposing actions. Yes. Thereby creating conflict and then people, letting people decide for themselves what their opinion on Fukushima was and mm. it did generate a lot of generated a lot of talk like you look at the uh, YouTube comments there and, and it had the exact reaction I'd hoped for and it received an award right it got honored for a webby yeah that's okay. right yeah nice. congrats bro. thank you oh, awesome now was that the same one you guys did on the TED talk is that the same that one? was the Ishinomaki documentary Ishinomaki, so that yeah, was okay I don't know what it's called now. The name has changed, I think, a few times since. But mm-hmm. when we made it, it was called Then and Now. Okay. That was very touching. Thank you. Yeah. I, like, mean, when I mean, when I watched it, I'm, I'm watching people who is showing so much compassion in the midst of so much disaster. Right. And, you know, people who are keeping their spirits up. Right. And, and still have hope, you know, after going through so much so yeah i just wanted to let you know oh, that was thank you that, that really hit that. me yeah. you know the resilience of, of of people you know and instead of hearing all this crap we hear over the news and all this yeah. mm-hmm. that and the other you know this was people need to check it out so oh, yeah. the, the, describe what it was like to, to be on the ground and, and shoot that yeah like, yeah I, 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 which one uh, with the uh, alone in the zone alone in the zone wow there's uh yeah that's I mean, That's like a your feelings, yeah. yeah. It's, it was hard because at the time you actually couldn't enter the zone at all unless you got permission from somebody who was, had a house in the zone and tagged along with them. Okay, gotcha. Uh, or had special permission from the government or something. You couldn't even pass through. Now you can. Okay. But at the time it was so radioactive that you couldn't. Oh. And... It was strange because it's almost as you imagine. Uh, what's that? What's that video game, which is about a post-apocalyptic world? And uh, I'm, I'm not a video game person. Okay. So I'm, I'm it's it's funny because like in, in then and now that, that documentary that you saw, one of the characters mentions that he felt he was like in that post-apocalyptic video game. And that's mm. exactly what it felt like. You go through these barriers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were the most stylish people in this radioactive zone. <laughs> I tell you what. 
we had a red convertible. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and we were driving through that. Of course, the roof was not down, but. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was, it was odd because you pass through these gates, and when you enter the zone, mm-hmm. you go through the first reactor, that's Fukushima Daini, mm. the, the second reactor that didn't explode, wow. as separated by a few Ks. And uh, they give you a dosiometer. Mm. To, to see the dose of radiation mm-hmm. that you have received. And then when you exit, they make a note of it. And that's that. Uh, we bought, we brought along our own uh, Geiger counter. It was a $900 Geiger counter, and we wanted to do a comparison check between theirs and, and ours. Yes, and we found out ours read several times higher. Wow. So. I don't want to say that the Japanese government was lying, but I think the Japanese government was lying about that because mm. we had we had like a nine hundred dollar Geiger counter and they wow. their Geiger counter their their dosiometer was a cheap piece of crap, basically. Gotcha. Um, so maybe it was down to it being a cheap piece of crap, but it was suspicious. Mm. So like, th- did you have any doubts still? going there or doing the project yeah I didn't want to get my balls fried I want to have kids at some point <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to get my balls fried <laughs> like it's just it's just it's uh, you know I didn't want to it's so it's, what made you go through it I mean you just it's just, just grit mm-hmm uh, we we felt like we really needed to do it like every step of the way every interview that we're doing leading up to that mm-hmm. it just seemed right so we just went ahead and continued doing it. It's 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 crazy because the more you get into the zone, the creepier it gets. Mm. All the houses were overgrown with grass, and the roads mm-hmm. were unkept. And the craziest thing was, you saw life everywhere. You ostriches would walk across the road. Wow! Uh, it's uh, it's just those wild boars running around. There was life everywhere. Mm. It's like when people extracted themselves from there, nature reclaimed it. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was a surreal experience, especially when my co-shooting partner, mm-hmm. uh, against my wishes, uh, ate a lot of beans the day before. <laughs> and we're in the zone and we're lost in the mountains and it gets really radioactive in the mountains for some reason, I think, because it traps, like it just, the wave of radiation hit the mountains and just condensed there. Mm-hmm. He just would fart like a fucking champion. <laughs> and I, I warned him about not eating this. And, and I had to, to make this, you know, it's like one of those decisions that you make. You have yeah. to think about it clearly. And it's like, what do I do? Do I inhale radioactive oxygen or do I just breathe this guy's methane? And I said, <laughs> fuck it, Jeff, you motherfucker. And I opened the window and I just took a breath of deep, fresh radioactive air. Oh, and wow. <laughs> Down south, we always used to say red beans, red beans, good for your heart. The more you eat them, the, the more, more you, you fart. fart. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who the fuck hot boxes in a radioactive zone? Like <laughs> <laughs> wow, man! Wow, gas got to go somewhere. Yeah. So you guys didn't think about like for your balls, you didn't think about wearing like leaded underwear or some shit. I actually, um, no, it's not that. It's the fact that you ingest radioactive oh, cesium oh. and iodine, and it will like attack you from the inside. It's not. It's not the external radiation that we're worried about. Oh, you, get, oh. you get more on a flight going from here to Los Angeles, for example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's, it's you get way more like just rays yeah. passing through you. It's the stuff that stays in your bones and your kidneys and livers and heart and mm. and, and blood that mm. just stays there and it's hard to get rid of strontium from your bones it just stays in your bones and it keeps pounding away with with mm. rays Whoa. that was the that was the scary part but uh i did do i got the geiger counter at one point and 
checked my bowls and they were fine. So, like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> like girl be in bed with you saying, "Damn, honey, why your balls glow in the dark?" This is like, yeah, but uh, wow. So your balls are radioactive? Are you just happy to see me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> happy to see you, girl. So you guys were here for I was I wasn't here for 2011. Yeah, I was I, I was I, I was here. Yeah, it was was it here, was yeah. it was it was extremely. Uh, so, so where were was, you guys when that happened? You know. I was I was at home with uh, my ex, and it, it was it was quite scary because we both thought we were gonna die. It went on for like six minutes. And were you in Tokyo? Oh, the earthquake. I was in Tokyo. Okay. Yeah. Right. You know that's funny. Yeah. I was in Tokyo too because I, I do a lot of street photography, right? So oh. I was driving here, and um, I'm in a van, and you know it was in my Japanese well, van. Hey, and a van is like a street box. photography in a van from a van. <laughs> that's, yeah, there that's you not go, suspicious man. at all. Suspicious. There you go. Oh yes, he does I, it. I, I got, I got, on, at I the got red on light, autopilot. At the red light, he'll back. put the window down and just yeah, look out the camera. Up the back lid. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, I was I was up here driving. It was kind of weird because. I'm driving and I felt the van shake. So I'm mm. thinking it's windy. You know, a van is just a big old box. So I'm, I'm thinking it's windy, right? And I'm like, damn, it's windy. And then I started noticing things because I'm a country boy. We notice a lot of stuff when the weather acts up, right? So I started noticing wasn't nobody clothes blowing around. So mm. I'm like, what the fuck? And then I hit my sunroof and I looked and the birds were the, the the, the crows were flying around you like an Alfred Hitchcock movie. Right. You ever seen that? Yeah, they were just yeah. flying around like crazy. And I remember growing out. up yeah. in the country when animals start acting a fool, bad weather's ready to show up, right? Because yeah. they're close to nature, right? Yeah. And then I looked around and I seen all these tens of thousands, what seemed to be like millions of people out on the streets. And I'm like, what? And so I, I parked my van and I stepped outside and I was like, oh shit, it's an earthquake. And something told me, you know, because Kanagawa is about an hour and a half drive average from Tokyo, right? Mm -hmm. So I, some told me, man, jump back in your van and go back home before you get caught in traffic. Right. I was like, hell no, man. I'm in a Rajaku. I'm going to get all this street scenery, all these colorful people. And, you know, we, we'll feel a few tremors in the back streets, right? And I'm thinking about these old buildings, you know, that's built like, you know, the wooden buildings mm. in some parts of Tokyo that's built like way back in the day, right? right. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, I hope no shit falls on me, but I'm going to have fun. Mm -hmm. And then... The problem was, was when I got my van to go home, that's so it, when reality hit. Gridlock, yeah. Yep, mm -hmm. gridlock. They closed yeah. all the expressways. They stopped the trains. Mm -hmm. And the funny part about it was, I'm on Highway 246, right? It took me six hours to get home, to make a long story short. But when I'm here in Tokyo, I'm watching all these tens of thousands of people walking. And I'm looking at these bicycles that are left on the side. Nobody's picking up a bicycle. Mm -hmm. Everybody was so on so organized right mm. and then they had this bicycle shop mm. this guy opened up his bicycle shop and people went there and they were just buying bicycles and this that and the other right and then i later found out some people walk or rode a bicycle because some you know a lot of people that work in tokyo live right. kind of far away they rode all the way back home mm. rode all the way back or walked all the way back home and i'm like wow this was surreal man mm. but yeah and then once i found out the real devastation yeah. the lights were off on the expressways, Tokyo mm. was closing at Tokyo closing at six p.m. Come That's on, crazy, yeah. yeah, I know. You know they don't close until Maybe. six a.m. You know, but you know coming from the clubs and stuff. But yeah, it was it was it was it was a, a eye opener. One distinct wow. memory that I had from that time was that mm -hmm. uh, I was in the living room editing a video or something, uh, and I had my MacBook Pro on the table and a mm -hmm. glass of water mm -hmm. on the table too. 
and I just remember seeing this glass of water and it started doing this. It was shaking. Mm -hmm. Uh, just like in Jurassic Park, when mm -hmm. the Tyrannosaurus Rex comes there, they look at the uh, glass of water there and, and it's splashing about. Yeah, yeah. And I thought to myself, this is weird. And then that, that was a precursor to the earthquake, right? Mm. I, if you remember the, the days following that, we had the day, uh, the day before the earthquake, we had a seven. Or an eight, I forget what it was. It's 7.5. Mm -hmm. Everyone thought that was a big one. Then the nine earthquake hit. That was a big one. Then we had two sevens in succession after that. About 20 or 30 sixes. And then a few hundred five earthquakes. Basically the whole night in Tokyo, or in this part of Japan, in, in Eastern Japan, mm -hmm. 24 hours a day, the earth was constantly shaking and you couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep. Wow. And it was just, it was this surreal thing. And even when the quake slowed down, I had experienced so many quakes that my body, even when there was no earthquakes, mm -hmm. I started experiencing phantom earthquakes. Mm. I would mm. feel shaking and I needed to find a point of reference to, to make sure whether it was a lamp or something like that or laundry to see mm. if it was swinging. So I remembered the first thing that I saw mm -hmm. when the earthquake happened, it was a glass of water on the table for, mm. the, for those first six months. I always left a glass of water on the table so I could actually cross-reference reality to my phantom earthquakes. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And just imagine... That, that disturbed me that my brain took me to that place, like where I'd constantly feel earthquakes. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Well, just imagine what the people felt who were like... Oh, man. At the epicenter, you know, and... That's a good point you brought up because I wasn't here for 2011, but I think I kind of have those phantom things too because, I mean, I've been here for a while and I, I know sometimes I'm, I'm at work and I'm like... Is that an earthquake? Yeah, part, yeah. yeah, but you know, <laughs> sometimes it's nothing, and sometimes it, there, you know, it actually was an earthquake. Did you so eat a lot of like, beans before you went to work? Maybe it was just the fart. <laughs> Seriously, I'm, I'm glad we're, we're, we're taking this fart jokes. <laughs> yeah. I, technically, I started it. So. Well, that's why we had the windows <laughs> open here. You know, <laughs> I noticed the windows open right next to you too. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got some mean ones, though. <laughs> yeah. Right. So then, you know. Um, Another film that, that, that I enjoy, another documentary I enjoyed was what is your favorite, I believe, yeah. Man, Man's, Man's Best, Best Friend. Friend yeah. yeah. So tell the audience about that film. And, and uh, yeah, it's, that was a strange little project that also came about because of my friend Jeffrey uh, doing uh, some interview, some radio thing for the BBC translation and he, he got wind of the story. Mm -hmm. To continue the fart puns, <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, it was it was just it was it was a surreal little story about a Buddhist monk in Obosan who would give funerals or, or, or death rites, Buddhist death rites, mm -hmm. to to robot dogs and and robot pets that could not survive anymore yes uh, the eyeball is it's a wonderful invention it's a while ago I, I forget even what year it was it must have been like 15 20 years ago even. Mm -hmm. Sony realized that it's not practical for many people to, to have pets in, in a place like Tokyo uh -huh. because a lot of houses have strict rules regarding pet ownership because mm -hmm. you know they damage the property and so on and yeah. and sometimes people are just don't have time to go out, buy food, clean the poop, do all that stuff. So 
they came up with this ingenious idea mm -hmm. to design a robot dog that would not just it was like a really early form of ai so mm -hmm. each robot dog that they designed would actually learn from its owner and develop a unique personality so there's not one ibo in existence that has the same personality ah. some are petulant little shits <laughs> some are like stupid and happy some are goofy uh -huh. some love affection some are a bit sad and depressed mm -hmm. and the dog the robot dog changes according to your interaction with it mm. and that fact alone was enough to make people so attached to it yes. and oh. actually feel like it was a real pet because yes. to them it was no different to the dogs that they have, except instead of feeding it, they would just tell the Ibo to go back on their charger and sit down and they would and recharge. Mm. Uh, yeah. So that, that's, that's what it is. And so it was an early form of AI and, and that's how people got so uh, attached to these pets. Yeah. Wow. And I thought that's such a strange thing. It's, it's, it's even Japanese people hear about it, think this is weird. But then I point out that it's actually not that strange to, to perform death rites for inanimate objects in Japan because part of the Shinto belief and even though this was a Buddhist funeral every Japanese person person dies as a Buddhist yes basically that's the, the saying you exactly. get married as a Shinto and you die as a Buddhist yep uh, a lot of people forget that you just don't throw if, if, if you have a if you have a, a doll you don't throw the doll away because you believe that the doll is imbued with some sort of spirit yes. you take it somewhere and you get it burnt or, or what have you, you have a, a priest uh, or bosan perform a rite on it. Even back in the day, people, needles, sewing needles, people mm. used to perform death rites for that. Wow. Uh, and it comes, it stems from the Japanese Shinto belief that everything in this universe is Has. imbued with a life force, exactly. a kamisama. Has a soul. Or a... Exactly. Right, and right. people often confuse the term kamisama to mean God. It can mean that, but more often than not, it's talking about a spirit a spirit yes well you know that 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 that's it because when i was when i was you know when i got to that part and they're performing these rites and you know i think that you know people will really have to sit down and listen and relax and allow it to you know just you know to penetrate them and when i thought about it what i got from it was the fact that those inanimate objects were created by human beings their spirit sure mm is connected to that 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 inanimate object they were programmed by human beings with which their spirit is somehow you know indirectly however you want to say it it's just so i can understand and then the people's relationship like the right. one lady who was uh uh who had suffered from a car accident yeah and she spent a year in the hospital and that was like her therapy and it reminds me of the therapy dogs that they use for the yeah. military veterans yep. who was suffering from PTSD so um, it may sound weird to some people some people may say ah you know that's some bullshit motherfucking stupid this that and the other but if you think about it and you, you made a great point everything in the universe was created everything that's created is from the universe and we Absolutely, are from yeah. the universe that's, and we, I couldn't have said it better myself yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, you, that's kind of like uh, I mean me and Jeffrey I'm not, I'm not gonna speak for him but but I believe we have pretty much the same view on this mm -hmm. uh, but it, it stems from that the reason why we originally start well I why I start, I'll speak for myself mm -hmm. you know, why I started doing all these documentaries it's I, I truly do believe that I mean you know, who was it who said that? Like we're all stardust, and it's yes. It's just... uh, I think uh, who was that? Ah, 
forgot his name right now. But yeah, yeah it's it's just and and I Carl mean, Sagan. It, yeah, that's it. Carl so, Sagan, that's yeah. my man. And uh, even, even if you take it to more like uh, an even more technical aspect, it, it's you look at look at Einstein and his most famous equation uh, equals mc squared. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's changed the way we live life. We can. Uh, this has brought on a future we never could have imagined had he not theorized this. Yes. Essentially, he equates energy and matter. Energy is matter condensed, mm -hmm. which means, by definition, we are all intrinsically related. We all come from the same original source of energy. It doesn't Absolutely. matter if you're a robot dog or if you're a human being. It just matters that different entities mm -hmm. have had a different combination of atoms reorganize themselves to subjectively perceive the universe in a different way. And that's kind of wasn't said in that documentary, but that's behind the scenes. Yes, that's the what science I was thinking. I couldn't, I couldn't help yeah. thinking that because you know, uh, I was, you know, I was born a Catholic, okay, and now I consider myself a lapsed Catholic. You can never actually uh, remove yourself from the Catholic Church. Once you're on the registry, you're there till you die. But I don't consider myself a Catholic anymore. Mm. Right now, that is the way I see the mm. universe. Wow. Yeah. yeah um, you, the, you know, one thing that moved me in the uh, film was that... So, the I, I believe the guy that does the repairing, he yeah. was talking about oh, how um, one, of, one of the owners of the broken eyeball or the AI robot thing um, was saying that... He was saying, maybe you can help me out with this. He yeah. was saying something about how once he saw it fixed, and when he saw the the, the, the robot, the Ibo moving around, and he was just so genki, so full of life, and he, it, it 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 inspired him to get better because he he was dealing with some type of sickness yeah, or yeah. something like that. And I was just like, wow, you know. I mean, it was, it was very subtle, but just deep, you know. I I really felt that. It's you know? like. The way we build connections to things is yeah. is a curious thing, you know. It's it's. I mean, it's strange. Uh, we're talking right now. We're communicating, mm -hmm. and we can do that through language and yes. grammar. Yes. Uh, but it, it doesn't matter what it is. You can still have communication mm -hmm. with not just other conscious entities, mm -hmm. but other entities that you think well that by all intents and purposes are not conscious by the traditional sense yes but you imbue with them a spirit and personality and that was also part of it yes so you can never actually know if someone else has a has a spirit mm. you can only know that you yourself exist mm. and then everything else that surrounds you you imbue that reality on it to create your perception yeah. mm -hmm. um and, and that's kind of like, that's what someone in, in a documentary, I forget who, but they made that point. It's like, we basically, we're attached to these dogs. We imbue them with a spirit because we see them. Mm. Um, and that connection is real. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Because that's the only thing that you can really know for sure in the universe is that you exist. Absolutely. And given the state of politics right now mm -hmm. with Donald Trump and everything that's going on, mm -hmm. 
there's a really strong case that Donald Trump is proof that we live in a matrix <laughs> and that he is the, the cat that appears twice in the matrix when it starts to schism and Agent Smith comes in there. So, you know, in, so I would contend that we're in the matrix right now, that, that even the fact that I know I exist might not be real. <laughs> you know, and, and also when I was watching the, the, the documentary yeah. about the, the AI robot, Ivo, um, I have I have a Robohung at home. You know what the Robohung is? is no, it's, what it's is a, that? It's basically like Ibo, but the re the more recent, okay. Um, I guess version of it, mm. and it, it talks and and, right. and all that type of stuff. Uh, it, it works off uh, internet, right? Wi-Fi. So, you know, if, if there's Wi-Fi in your home, you can ask you can ask Robohung. What the weather's gonna be like, right. and you know, yeah. Does, does it walk around or? Um, or it no, it doesn't walk around. It just like sits. I know the one you're talking. Yeah, about. Yeah, it, yeah. It, my, my wife just has it on a table, and right. you know, she comes home and talks to it, and hey, it, it can dance. It can, it can do all different types of so things. It's like an anthropomorphized uh, Google Home or yeah, Amazon, yeah, almost. pretty yeah. much. So go, yeah, going back to that, that yeah. your man's best friend documentary with the eyeball in it. Um, I remember this lady. She was saying that um, she said she said she didn't really like uh, like the eyeball for like any particular reason. Uh -huh. um, she just liked the fact that it was there. Right. You know. So it's like you said. It, I, I guess people when when they when they have when they have one of these things, they just you know they build some type of relationship with it, even though it's an inanimate object, but. You know, it becomes near and dear to their heart, and, uh, and of course, yeah, it's a, it's a part of their, their, their everyday life. So, yeah, um, yeah, I'll just, yeah, that's absolutely right. And I mean, it's 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 you know, it's it's Tokyo is one of those cities. It's a huge city, and it's very easy for people to just the bigger the city. You're from New York. Yes. You should, you should, yeah. You're from New York. Yes. Right? Uh, it's the bigger the city the lonelier you yeah, can get. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the great irony of, of, of modern society. Mm -hmm. it's, it's We build all these tremendous and great buildings and, mm -hmm. and can design self-driving cars and, and everything. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, if you go home alone, mm -hmm. if you don't have someone that loves you and, and you can love back, mm -hmm. and, and if you don't feel like you're moving anywhere in life and mm -hmm. don't see purpose, mm -hmm. it's very easy to get lonely. So. Again, leading back to the Ibo, that's part of the reason why people got attached to that. It was like a little buddy that yes. they had at home, you know? Yes. It was something that they could connect with in some way, have have an intrinsically human connection exactly. with that that Ibo dog. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Great film, great film. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. So 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 why yeah. is it your favorite? Out of all the it was so Films weird and fun to produce and, and I just, after doing the Fukushima movies and going up a few times since then, uh -huh. it's the environment in Fukushima was so heavy and, yes. and toxic and, and mm. every time we went up there it was just these, it got to me. I would come back to Tokyo after doing these Fukushima and, and Tohoku movies mm. and all I would do is I'd, I'd get off the Shinkansen. Mm -hmm transfer in Shinjuku or Shibuya, wherever it was I was going at the time. Mm. And I'd step out into the city with all these tall buildings and lights. And all I could see after hearing all these traumatic stories of people in my documentary, the only thing I could see was where the watermark in Tokyo would be if it was deluged by a tsunami here. And it would take me a week to unwind and to just recalibrate. Mm. 
after that and it, it's, I'm glad that I did that and I'm glad that I thought that way because it mm. changed the way I think about people and, and how we connect mm. for the rest of my life Yeah. but at the same time I was just so wanted I was so ready to do a different kind of documentary that that was spiritual and mm-hmm. more light-hearted but just as meaningful in a different way exactly. it was and still about connection yeah. yeah oh okay 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 yeah very spiritual very simple subtle but yeah ah, I, I love the film yeah, yeah. just just a quick one yeah. back to the Fukushima when you were up there doing your documentary did you feel death yeah mm. yeah the whole time it was I know I know I'm, I'm really aware of the fact that part of it was psychosomatic mm. you know I could feel toxicity you could almost see it mm. in the air when you were there uh, but yeah, you could. It was tangible. Mm. You know, it, it was. It was tangible. The just everything around you when you're in such, when you're in. I was shooting mm-hmm. in a radiation suit, a Tyvex radiation suit. Mm-hmm. I had a Tyvex. Uh, I had a 3M air filter mask, yes. uh-huh. and it's not a simple mask that you see on the Tokyo subways. It was one of those masks that actually had a little element in the front. Mm-hmm. And when you'd breathe out, it would move out. And when you'd breathe in, it would move in. It had a little ball or something in mm-hmm. there. And it would drip condensation from there. Mm-hmm. And I remember how hard it was shooting mm-hmm. when condensation was dripping from my mask <laughs> into the camera. Wow. Uh, but it, it, was, it was just, it was not a pleasant experience, mm-hmm. but it was a worthwhile experience. But yes, you could, I don't know how real it was, mm-hmm. but I perceived it. It, it felt mm. sick. You could you could perceive it, and to be honest, I don't know how anyone, even though the government's trying to tell us that it's safe up there, mm. uh, yeah. I, I don't know how safe it is, and I think it's very foolhardy to to even consider allowing, especially women and children or, or anyone of like mm. childbearing age, yes. to to move back up there because it's 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 not worth it for yeah, future generations. Yeah. Vegetation. Where are you going to get your fish? I mean, you know, it's all all yeah. that crap is. Are you really going to allow your children to like just play in a field that yeah. still has radioactive yeah. iodine or strontium or, or cesium there? I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's even though it's in small amounts, it's you it's got a reactor here. that's still leaking out into the ocean there. It's yeah. like oh, it's, I don't understand what they're thinking. It's, it's money. It's it's it is money. It is money, and yeah. and that's the greatest. Like this, the, the, the the root of all evil. No. <laughs> the biggest, the biggest, the saddest thing that I find about that, mm. and I'm going to get a little bit political here, mm. is that this whole project with all these reactors on Japan never should have happened to begin with. Yes. I'm not intrinsically against nuclear energy, but to put this many reactors, 50 plus reactors on the most tectonically active place on the planet is an exercise in insanely high-level stupidity Mm. and to know that it was the American government that pushed this the Adams for Peace project Mm. they pushed this onto Japan Mm. as part of the recovery process it was I believe it was, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was an American reactor design as well. 
I'm not too sure. It might have been a Mitsubishi design, mm -hmm. but I, I, I believe it was an American design. Mm -hmm. And all the uranium, like probably 90% of the uranium came from my, my adopted country, Australia. Mm. Uh, Australia produces a lot of uranium and now that part of Australia that we exported has polluted a part of the world that I've adopted as my new home yet again. <laughs> yes. uh, so I was born in America. The country that proposed this project moved to Australia, the country that sold this toxic material. And now I live in Japan and I'm reaping the rewards of economic recovery. Uh, and you could apply that logic to so many things in yeah. society, but this, this pisses me off. It's, it's mm. for far too long, we've neglected people for the sake of profit of and the advancement of society yeah. and you can you can take that in terms of, of socio-economic class yeah. you can take that in terms of race you can take that in terms of religion even in certain parts of the mm. world mm. and what we're seeing right now as we spoke about before this mm. this interview started mm -hmm. like maybe Donald Trump to just take a huge tangent was the best thing to happen for America because just by the fact that he exists mm -hmm. is making people react and realize what is true, what they truly believe in the world. Mm -hmm. Now people are starting to talk again. We really need to get healthcare back on the map. We really need to work out a way to not have American kids in debt mm. for the rest of their lives for a college exactly. degree. Exactly. We need, people are realizing all these things and now black folks, women and, and, and highly educated university professors and so on running in record numbers and, and mm. we need that recalibration of American society right now and that's going to, what happens in America as my dad used to say when I was young when America coughs the rest of the world catches a flu yeah. so hopefully that'll spread like wildfire because I see this Mm. this toxic uh, nationalism mm -hmm. springing up everywhere in the world mm. and and we need a reset button yes, very and maybe Trump is part of that maybe we in 10 years will be thanking him yeah. for being himself mm. even though we might hate every thing that he stands <laughs> for yeah so uh, that's my point <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. where do we go from here man well that was that was well, I appreciate that that, yeah. that insightful um, response um but uh so what are you what have you been up to recently um okay. as far as with filming yeah re recently i've been doing most mostly commercial projects uh, uh at the end of last year i did okay. uh a campaign for jnto which is the japanese national okay. tourism organization okay uh and it was a worldwide campaign to promote mm -hmm. tourism to japan mm -hmm. uh and yeah, that was amazingly successful. We got 21, 22 million views last count. Okay. Uh, it was on TV. The 30 second spot was on TV all across the world. Nice. Um, and again, you know, part of that was to, to show, you know, a lot of people have created a myth about what Japan is in their head. And in reality, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a very different country to, to a lot of, it's more than just geisha and sumo yeah. and, and, and maid cafes and, yeah. and, and, and pet cafes, you know. You know and I, sushi I feel temples like, and shrines. Yeah, and, and temples and shrines. It's a lot more than that. And that's what the campaign tried to show people. Right, it's right. Like, if you want, you can, yeah, there's a lot of other stuff here that's, that's. I feel beautiful. there's a myth too with 
uh, technology in Japan too. Like some people think it's like way more advanced than what it really is. Man, I still have to send faxes to people. I don't <laughs> exactly. even have a fax machine. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what's wrong with a PDF? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like it's just like they're going to go from fax to telepathy. They're going to skip a few <laughs> generations. Like you know that about Japan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, um, one of your most recent projects yeah. uh, with Jaden Smith. That's uh, correct. Yeah. Tell the audience about that, man. That, that was pretty uh, cool. Man. That that came out of the blue. It was, yeah. It was. I didn't expect uh, to be working with Jaden, but it's in fact I wasn't even on the job until a few days before, and I, I don't know what happened. Oh wow. But there was, uh, I think it was just it was down to me and one other person. I still don't to this day I don't know who that other person is. <laughs> but um, for whatever reason, I ended up shooting that a series of three music videos with Jaden in Tokyo wow and um and you know I, I remember seeing uh yeah. I believe I was fo I'm following Pete Rock um R&B yeah influencer man R&B well I say R&B hip-hop <laughs> sorry I was, I was following Pete Rock on Instagram yeah. and he posted a picture with Jaden Smith so I remember him being in Tokyo right. but that that's what it was for he came but for. man that was nuts to, to just I mean for yeah, starters he, he was uh, he, I, I went into this not knowing like it, I was told to be careful you know he's yes. very famous so on and so forth uh -huh. you know people had watched previous interviews that he'd done and so on <laughs> and it's like you know just treat this very carefully yeah as soon as I got on location he was he was nothing but cool he was just a dude really respectful really thankful Okay. Uh, and I couldn't help but think to myself, man, he, I, if, if I had to raise somebody, a child, I couldn't have raised a better kid than that because wow. he was not pretentious in any which way. Mm. He was really down to earth. And if he was what the paparazzi and media said in the past, uh -huh. which I highly doubt, but even if he was, he's, he's not that now. He was just nothing but a fantastic person and I think he's got a huge future ahead of him he's got a lot of ambition yes. and when he finds his place in the world wherever that is mm -hmm. like his real place in the world right now he's doing a record label fashion mm -hmm. he's getting back into acting after a, a you know a hiatus from that yes um, he'll find it and he'll be I think he'll be uh, I'm hesitant to say this but I think he'll be as big if not bigger than his dad at one point in his life mm. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, he's future. He got the future ahead of him. Yeah, very young. Um, so, was it difficult to shoot what three videos in two days? Or it was, you know, it's how does that work? I thought it would be really difficult, but just we were really efficient. Jaden knew exactly what he wanted out of it. Okay. Uh, and we just worked together to get the shots. He was really respectful of my input okay uh when he thought it would make a great idea he'd go yeah do it when he did there was a problem with his performance uh-huh uh and i pointed that out to him he's uh -huh. all i get you won't be like that the oh, next wow. day so, so, boom yeah. right away he'd fix that it's just you no rehearsal the balls to yeah of say, course yeah oh, okay hey <laughs> You're director. i'm not gonna i'm not gonna uh, i was dping that one but it's it's uh it's no it's like i don't want to produce a shit video for exactly him. if, if, if if he's not doing something right, or if, if it's not looking right, I'm going to point it out to him in a respectful way. I'm not going to say you fucking suck, <laughs> but but uh, it's it's you know if what gets back to the Smith family about that, I'm never working in Hollywood. <laughs> right, I'm telling you, 
Uh, I'll go back to that Muhammad Ali character and yeah. your ass or something. Right. Yeah, yes. But, yeah, yeah. But I'm looking forward to seeing. Yeah, it's, I, it's, I'm positive about this. I don't know when it's going to be released. Okay. Uh, I think when his EP or album drops it, okay. he'll release a video at the same time. Okay. Uh, but that's. I think this is one video in particular. I think okay. it's going to. It's going to do well? I think it's going to hit a cool 100 mil. Yeah. Oh, nice. I think it's going to hit that many on YouTube. Wow. I have a feeling. It's just there's something about it that's just. The song is catchy as catchy. fuck. Okay. So dope. catchy. Dope. dope. And it's, it's a perfect fusion of. It's 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 interesting. It's got it's it's part. I'm hesitant to describe it because I'm oh, yeah, so no, yeah, lost yeah. on on hip hop. Okay. I I I I, I, I loved hip hop back in the '90s. Okay. And then you know Eminem came around, and I thought, ah, he's he's kind of all right. And then Kanye, a couple of Kanye albums, I'm like, yeah, he's he's good. <laughs> and I just started like losing track of hip hop. Same same with me, man. But, uh, but it's like I don't know. It's like there's a bit of Tyler that. Create Tyler the God, uh, the Creator. Was Tyler the Creator. Tyler the Creator. There, yeah. there's a bit of like trap in there. There's a bit of like there's a, there's a few different influences. And Is there a bit of Kanye in there. I I would say there might be a bit. Yeah, <laughs> Kanye's. I think Kanye's a big influence of his. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Uh, but yeah, with that music video combined with that track, I think it's going to be huge. Dope. I dope. think people are going to love it. Dope, dope. Looking forward to it. Yeah, man. Well. Before we get out of here, um, hit us up with the hit the audience right, up with the social media. All y'all good people out there who enjoy the Raw Urban Mobile Podcast, uh, please follow us on Stitcher, Podbean, uh, iTunes, and you know also follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And we appreciate the love, and we appreciate Brother Ivan for showing up. And yeah, yeah, thank you for coming, man. man I really appreciate yeah. it. Thank I didn't expect the long hair, though, you know. I was, like, I was expecting, you know, the businesses. Now, you know, it's like, hope this dude ain't in no business suit, because all I got is a pair of shorts, a t shirt, yeah. Jimi Hendrix looking stuff on it. And, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, Jimmy. It's the first song I learned how to play on. Jimmy's music is the first songs I learned how to play on the guitar. Hey, yeah, we, yeah. We, we, gotta, we gotta go hang out sometime, yeah, get a beer or something. Oh, yeah. oh, you're a guitar sure. man. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, you, you play with a band or something? or I did a long Ooh. time ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, I did. I have, I have a Strat and uh, a Dan Electro and uh, yeah. No, I love, I love Jimmy. Cool. I love Led Zepp. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> hey, the blues. I love some Led Zepp. As a matter yeah. of fact, if you're ever on YouTube, go watch the Kennedy Center Honors for all of these great stars. But right. man, they did a excellent one for Led Zeppelin. All right, I'll check that yeah, out. Yeah, heart yeah. and uh, yeah. orchestra, choir. It was a little mix of, of, of a little gospel-like feel to it. But yeah, awesome. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was awesome, awesome, awesome. thing, man. But wow, wow. Like yeah. a pleasure, my man. You too. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Yeah. Oh, once again. Yeah. All right, all right. Too. Yeah. All right. He's got a grip. You're listening to the Raw Urban Mobile Podcast, live from the streets of Tokyo. Yep. We're Chaka out. Buddha, Ivan. See you later. All right. Tokyo Peace. Cliff. Peace. Abunai desu kara. Abunai desu kara. Abunai desu kara.